Rick. How are you? Hey, Gracie. How are you? Good to see you today. You too. I'm doing great. Wonderful. So today I was wondering if you could talk to us about a term I've heard you mention, cogs ladder, um, and just kind of explain what that is. Is it an actual ladder? <laughs> it is a ladder, actually, yes. But don't ask me what cogs stands for. That's the one, one uh, unknown <laughs> I'd like to find out. The mystery. Yeah, so this is a, one of the first team development models that I was exposed to way back in the 80s. And um, it was created by a fellow by the name of George Charrier, who was an organization development internal uh, expert at Procter & Gamble. And he uh, rolled this out in the early 70s. It was actually part of the uh, University Associates Handbook, Annual Handbook for Group Facilitators in 1974. And that's where I would have picked it up. Um, but it's a, it's a, I think a very powerful team development model and shows the, the evolution of a team. Just real quick, I'd like to say, so what is a team, right? So um, what George defined as a team, it had four criteria. One is they have a reason to work together. So they have a common goal and objective. There's also an interdependence between the team members. Sometimes someone wonders why they don't feel like they're part of a team or like a fifth wheel. Well, it may be because they're really not an interdependent member of a team, in which case you got to really ask, do they, do they need to be there? But the third criteria is really around a commitment to the idea, to the mission, to the goal and objective that people have a a desire to be there and a desire to make it happen. And the fourth criteria is that they're accountable as a unit. And sometimes you'll even see uh, uh, compensation or performance metrics around the team or unit as a whole, as well as uh, the individuals on the team. Um, so Gracie, if you could put up the uh, four, five stages of team development, the latter model, yeah. what are these different stages? Well, the first stage is called the polite stage. At stage one, people are starting to get to a sense for the group, right? So that's subgroups or cliques are starting to emerge, getting a feel of who thinks like I do. Um, and also hidden agendas of the group members. We all come with agendas to a meeting, but the agendas really remain hidden uh, at this point. Um, there's a high level for a need for group approval and feeling a part of things, but also conflict is usually at a minimum at this stage. Okay, so let's keep climbing the ladder. What's on the second rung? Yeah, so, so the second stage is critical. It is the why are we here stage. And it's really asking uh, the question, what are the group's goals and objectives? What's the purpose? What's the mission? And what you're going to find is that some groups spend a long time at this stage because they have a very complex task. Others move through it very quickly because when the group was formed or launched, it was very clear and concise and to the point. Also in the second stage, you're going to start to see the subgroups or cliques starting to have an influence. This is where members start to see and understand that other members have a common purpose for being there see the goals and objectives in a similar way. And so people are starting to kind of align with one another to you know, create collective power to move towards what they think is the right thing to be doing. Okay, so step three. 
Step three. So the third stage is called bid for power. And this is really where competition emerges. Uh, it's where the group mem members start to think through and articulate their own positions. They're trying to convince other members of the group that the way they think and what they want to achieve is the right thing to be doing. So you're going to see uh, some real arm wrestling going on. Some members are going to be very vocal and trying to work their agenda, and other people actually shut down. And, um, and so you're going to see people say accusing one another of really not listening to what I have to say. You're not, you're not taking in my, my perspective or the data that I bring. Um, so conflict in the groups tends to go up, um, and uh, more, more so than at any other stage. You're also going to see leadership. Um, people are vying for leadership. They're vying for power. And so they're trying to, to um, uh, resolve things through power and authority. Uh, and when that doesn't work, they start things like voting. Well, let's vote on it. Or let's have compromises. Okay, you, you give up that piece, I'll, I'll, and I'll give up this piece. Or they may seek a decision from someone outside of the group. Um, either the customer or the boss or whoever sponsored the team. So at stage three, people are, it's typically not a fun place to be. The team spirit is, is, is really not very strong. Uh, some members may actually feel very uncomfortable, actually sensing, a sense, you know, there's hostility or conflict within the group. Um, and others are going to remain totally quiet and just, just kind of back off. So what is the result? Groups at the bid for power stage typically have much lower creativity. They oftentimes will achieve their objectives. It's going to take a lot longer because of all this conflict. And you, you look at the end results and it's not nearly as powerful an end result as a group at stage four or five. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it's not a lot of fun. So what do we do about it? So we go to stage four. Stage four is what we call the constructive stage, and it involves both an attitude change as well as a skill change. So a key attitude shift is I don't have to be right. I don't have to be in control. I can let go of that. So active listening becomes part of uh, stage four, a constructive team with, where people are really hearing each other out. Um, so there's that willingness to let go, willingness to hear other people. And that means a lot of questions are going to be getting asked. Stage three, there's a lot of telling. Stage four, there's a lot of asking and listening. There's much more progress towards the goals. There's much more creativity towards the goal. And what's exciting is leadership is shared. So as a leader, you can actually let go of being a leader and you can play much more of a member of the team kind of a role, which actually allows you to engage in the creativity, not having to manage or control it, but really help build the synergy towards a more creative and effective solution. And then the final, the final team uh, level that George identified is high-performing team or esprit de corps. And we've all been a part of a team like that, usually. Um, so, um, you know, the, Gracie, I know you're in theater. And, and you know when, when your theater company comes together and it's a lot of fun and you really trust each other and you're loyal to the collective group, you're going to have a great play. And people are going to walk away feeling just 
boy, was that fun. I can't wait until we do it again. Very similar for a group at the uh, esprit de corps, high-performing level. They have intense loyalty. Relationships between people have moved from it's all about the uh, achieving our goal and objective to I really care about you as a person. All of a sudden, the other person, the other team member, is frankly more important than than the goal and objective that we were assigned to. And when when people can go beyond the the goal and objective to really caring about the other people, guess what happens to creativity? Guess what happens to synergy? Guess what happens to the end result? Much more powerful, even more so than the constructive team. Um, and, and what's funny about a stage five is people really build uh, loyalty and understanding of one another. Um, they also realize we don't have to agree on everything, that it's okay to agree to disagree. And so if you have an outsider watching a group that's at, at stage five, sometimes they think they're at stage three bid for power because people are so open and honest and direct about differences of opinion. But at stage five, all of that's okay. Frankly, it's expected. It's, they're disappointed when you don't share your, your alternative viewpoint. And it's not, none of it's taking personal. It's not an attempt for power. It's an attempt to move us ahead as a collective. Things like hidden agendas at this stage, um, they do not detract from the team. They actually are okay. So I trust you enough, and I have enough faith in who you are as a fellow, as a colleague and a fe fellow leader, that I can, if you need to come in and speak to someone in my organization, I'm not worried about it. You don't need to go through me. It's, it's part of what we need to do as a collective whole to move our collective agenda forward. So trust levels are very high. And, it, and it's a, a lot of fun to be part of a high-performing team. So what are the implications? How do you use this ladder? Great question, uh, Gracie. And frankly, that's the whole key. So it's like, the so what? Okay, so that's an interesting model. So what? Here's how I use it. If you could put up onto the screen, Gracie, the matrix that shows the five stages across the top and then the seven measurement categories that I like to use on the left-hand side. And George came up with these as the, as the seven elements of measuring where, what stage the team is functioning at. So the first one is goals and objectives. And what I do is I hand out this sheet of paper. I ask each member of the team to, to read through the definitions with me. I actually walk them through the definitions. And I, as we go through them, put an X through the box that you think is where you, your team is currently. And so goals and objectives, I'll read the definitions, they'll mark one of those off. Same with sharing of information. Where are you as a, as a group around clicks and subgroups? Hidden agenda items. Where are you around risk-taking and your willingness to take risks? Where are you in conflict? And where are you in terms of participation levels? Um, so people have put an X through each of the box. I ask them to score each column, how many X's in each column. And, and it will show a bell curve 
um, or spikes in where the team as a collective, a summary, a summary sheet, where the total team sees each of their, where they see this team in each column. And sometimes it's obvious, boom, we're at level two, or boom, we're stuck at level uh, stage three. Uh, sometimes you'll see a bifurcation where some people are at stage one and other people are at stage three or four. And, and what do we do with the data? This becomes then the action planning. I work with the group to say, how do we move from stage one to two? If, if most people see them at stage one, how do we move from stage two to three? If you see a bifurcation, we say, how do we, let's collectively move back to whatever the, where most people are or where some of the people are at stage one or two, and how do we move forward as a collective and not leave those people behind? So it's a summary of the individual data as the team, and then you work it with the team. And then, you know, this is an ongoing exercise. So you might come back in a month um, if it's an ongoing team or if it's a project team maybe in a week or two and say, have we made the progress that we want to make as a team? So it's been a great, a lot of fun, a great tool for me, and I'd be glad to share with anyone more about Cog's Ladder. Thanks so much, Rick. You're welcome.